everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We invite you to join our mission to love like Jesus, and you can connect with us on social media or visit our website, csvineyard.org. Now for this week's talk, brought to you by co-lead pastor, Amos Grunendijk. We are going to be looking or reading first, I suppose is a better way of saying it, at John 16. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, turn to that passage. As you do that, I want to remind you that uh, over the summer, I asked you guys to read this book by Pete Gregg called God on Mute. And I just, I read it a second time, and this is, this is in the top two books that I would recommend, period. And it might be the book that I would give to somebody if I could only pick one, depending on where they're coming from. I mean, it's sad. I mean, there's a lot of sadness in here, uh, but it's beautiful. And I think any person who has either been following Jesus for a length of time or who has walked away from Jesus or who is considering faith in Jesus needs to wrestle with, understand, and gain insight to the suffering that we experience and what to do with it. And so Jesus actually has a little something to say about that in John 16. Would you guys stand? We do this to uh, honor the one who wants to reveal himself to us through this book, and we trust it. And so John 16, these are the words of Jesus. Verse 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth... You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We ask that you would meet us. We ask that you would open our hearts to your word and to your presence. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of Jesus. and all he did, but also the love that he showed. We thank you for showing us love that knows no boundaries. And so we come and we offer you ourselves. Uh, We ask for you to help us with our unbelief, (laughs) uh, to help us grow in our trust of you and in relationship with you. And I ask also that you would be our comforter today because some of us are coming in with pain too horrible to know or to speak or to even really face. And so we ask that you would walk beside us. Amen. You guys can have a seat. The words of Jesus. Uh, I grew up learning them from a slightly different translation. In this world, you will have trouble. Anybody here have no problems? No troubles at all. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to publicly shame you. We will have trouble. And Jesus, uh, C.S. Lewis makes this point that's brought up in this book. Jesus spoke and taught and gathered disciples in a world without air conditioning. And without antiseptic. Like, he came to a world that was full of disease in the Middle East that is, like, way hotter than it is here in Pennsylvania in the summers. Uh, Not always sure if you were going to have food to eat year after year, depending on what the weather was doing. Jesus came into a world that was full of trouble. 
And uh, the this that he mentions is that it's actually going to get worse for people who follow him because of persecution. He says, actually, compare it to a woman giving birth. Not that I have any experience with that. But it, it, there will be pain that you will block out. But through the pain, and I think Jesus uses the metaphor not only because of the, like, there's really no pain that I don't think could be measured. Again, no laughing gas, no Tylenol, just something to bite as you were to give birth. It's not just the pain, though, that I think Jesus is making allusion to. It's that through the pain, and he says this, there is joy on the other end. And so our suffering and our pain, Jesus is alluding to here, is going to give birth to something so beautiful that it will know after the fact that it's worth it. And I don't think that we actually see that fruit in its fullness, like the birth isn't fully completed until after death. So the real fruit, the real joy doesn't come until resurrection. Now, some of us can look back on periods of our life and say, wow, I went through a really hard thing and I can see how through it I, I grew and I, I turned toward Jesus in it and I got uh, a glimpse of what that future joy might look like. But that's not how the story always goes. There's not always a miracle and there's not always an obvious like growth point. Sometimes, as far as we can tell in this life, there's just pain and there's suffering and there's death and there's grief. Now, uh, I want to say this very gently, and I'm sure that this only applies to me in this room. I'm sure this doesn't apply to any of you. But one of the mistakes that Christians can make is that we will deny pain. We will stuff it. We will pretend like we're fine and that it's all going to be fine and we call it faith. I'm just trusting Jesus. Now, I, I believe that faith does carry you through pain and suffering, but the model of Jesus is not, it's all going to be fine, I'm good. The model of Jesus is, in the world, you will have trouble. And he cries out in anguish, and he puts words to his pain, and he complains to God the Father, and he, he, he weeps. On several occasions, when Jesus witnesses the death of a friend, Lazarus, maybe you know the story, he breaks down crying. The other time that he weeps, one other time, another time that he weeps, is when he is entering Jerusalem and he looks at the state of the hearts of God's people. And he, and he weeps. And that's, some of you are facing personal pain, personal loss, and some of you are looking at the world and thinking, what hope is there? Some of you are looking at the global church saying, man, we're really screwed up. Like, we're a mess. And it's not clear to me that Christians are making it better. And so to weep and to wrestle with God over the questions and over the frustrations and in anger and in sadness, Jesus not only gives us permission to do this, he models it for us. And that's what so much of this book is about. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And if you, were, if you trust in me, I promise you on the other side, 
joy that will be so much greater than any pain that you've ever known. And our hope is in resurrection. Now, we actually have the story of Jesus as he dies, is buried. For a whole day, the disciples are just confused and afraid. Where is God on that Saturday, on that Sabbath of all days? Jesus seems like he's dead and going to stay dead. The Romans won. And then they experience the resurrection of Jesus and realize that it is the first of a future. So that Jesus' resurrection actually points us to a future where we all can experience resurrection. But what I think is so uh, amazing, so incredible, is that when Jesus comes back and meets with people, we don't have a lot of these stories, in most cases, he leads with a question. So you can imagine the people who are dealing with the grief and the sorrow and the pain of losing their friend, their rabbi, their king, their lord, their hope, uh, having a lot of questions. And even as they start to hear stories of Jesus is alive, really, they doubt it and they continue to question. And so I want to I highlight the beautiful, surprising truth of the questions that Jesus asks. Because he could just say and say, hey, don't be sad. Hey, you don't, don't doubt anymore. Hey, it's going to be all right. But instead, he comes with curiosity and tenderness. And he listens to what they say in their pain, grief, doubt, and sorrow. And so I want to I re- read through them. There are four that we'll cover today, and then we'll look at each of them a little, a little bit more. Uh, the first is, let's see, I believe it's on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus. There are two disciples walking. Jesus says, what are you discussing? Don't you understand? And then to his disciples, after passing through locked doors, why are you so troubled and why do doubts rise? And to Peter, do you love me? And to Mary, why are you crying? And so Jesus starts the conversation with questions that are designed to heal and to meet people in their specific area of struggle, grief, pain, anxiety, because everybody's coming from a slightly different place. Um, The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, Jesus says, what are you discussing? Don't you understand? I mean, they're just confused. They, they're, don't you understand, like, what don't you understand? I want to hear from you what's going on. And they go on to say, haven't you heard Jesus, who we put our hope in, is dead? (laughs) And we can't make sense of it. And then after listening, he opens up the scriptures. And so if you're coming from a place of confusion, know that Jesus wants to meet you and continue the conversation. To the disciples in a locked room who are having a crisis of faith, they've they've walled themselves out from the Romans, it seems, or maybe from the Jewish leaders because they are afraid. But you might just as well say that they've walled off their hearts to protect uh, the, the, the horror 
of the last few days. And maybe that's where you are. Because I don't know that any of us are afraid from our, for our lives, but maybe we're afraid of what might happen if we were to really open up the door of our heart to the doubts that we have or the pain that we've gone through and, and, and we're having a crisis of faith. And Jesus leads with a question, why are you so troubled? Like in the question, and why do you doubts rise in your heart? Like he's seeing the doubt. He's honoring the doubt, and he responds to the doubt. He doesn't shame, but he shows. He doesn't, in this case, debate ideas, but he he opens up his wounds. He reveals a resurrected body, the man that you knew, the human that died. I'm with you. I promised I would be. To Peter, he says, do you love me? And at first glance, this might seem a little rude. But you have to remember the story that Peter, who was Jesus' like great disciple, like he, he screwed up a bunch, don't get me wrong, before this point. But he didn't ever screw up as much as he did on the night that Jesus was betrayed, was tried and crucified, because he, he denies that he even knows Jesus. And maybe, maybe you've been in that same place. Uh, either to other people, I, you deny even knowing Jesus because you're embarrassed, or to yourself, like you've actually turned away and walked away for a period of time. And instead of scolding, Jesus says, do you love me? In other words, all that stuff you did, all that stuff you thought, all that stuff you said, you know what's really important to me? I want to know if you love me. And I'm giving you a chance to make it all right. This is what's most important. Do you love me, Peter? And so in that question, Jesus gives Peter a chance to absolve all the guilt that he must be carrying for the denial of his Lord who now stands before him. Before I move into the last one, I think... One of the the main objects of this book, God on Mute, and one one of the things that we must learn to do is to, instead of ignore or deny pain and suffering, evil, trial and trouble, or on the other side, simply despair or endure, like I'm just, I'm just going to, be miserable the rest of my life, or I'm just going to grip my teeth and power through. The middle way is the way to walk through this world with its trouble, with Jesus at our side. In this, because in this world, you will have trouble, but do not lose heart. And the promise that Jesus makes in John 16 earlier is that I will send my spirit and I will be with you through my spirit. And even though it seems like you're walking through the darkest valley, even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, because you 
are facing the end of life or because somebody you love is facing the end of life, Jesus will be with you. He may not answer all your questions. He may not clear all of your doubts. He may not take the pain away. But what he does promise is that you are not alone. And so we have something, rather, we have someone to turn to and to cling to. I want to tell a story that uh, Pete Gregg tells. Uh, And it's a story of a peasant farmer who just can't get out of the cycle of poverty. And and actually, the poet who writes this story is from India. And so, like, dealing with, like, pretty rigid caste system. Um, And so, you know, day after day, drudgery after drudgery, uh, there's really no hope. And he's in despair until, off in the distance, he sees a carriage that shines like the sun because it's made of pure gold. And he thinks, oh, this is the king. And when when the king comes, I'll be, I'll stand ready at hand to receive a gift that he might give me. And this will take me to that next level. This will change my life forever. And so he goes and he stands by the road uh, next to his field. And uh, the king stops the carriage and the king comes out. And the man thinks, my dreams are coming true. And he says, Hail, O king, I am one of your loyal servants. And the king says, Dear servant, what do you have for me? And the peasant farmer is dazed, confused, isn't sure what's going on because he was expecting to receive a gift and now the king is asking for a gift. And the peasant farmer knows that winter is coming. The peasant farmer knows how hard he's worked for this bag of grain that he's been dragging along all day. And so he takes just off the top a very, very small kernel and puts it in the king's hand as tribute. And the king says, go and be well. Gets in his carriage and drives off and the the farmer's obviously disappointed. But when he gets home and he dumps the grain onto the floor, he sees that amongst the corn there is one smallest of kernels of pure gold. Because what the farmer gave to the king, the king returned in value a thousand times. And at this point, he enters into a place of despair. If only I would have given everything. If only I would have given my all. What if I would have stood up and said, I am yours, and I will serve, my grain is yours, My land is yours. I am yours. Think of what treasure I might have experienced. Now, I'm not saying that the degree of our obedience or surrender is what gets us a ticket into heaven. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that our king, that our God is generous, and that our suffering and our turmoil are 
our doubts, our, our very life, uh, all of our effort are his. And he's inviting us to surrender it freely that he might bless us infinitely. I'm saying that this light and momentary affliction does not compare to the eternal weight of glory that awaits us. And John Wimber, uh, the founder, one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement, would always talk about his life this way. He says, I'm a, I'm a coin in God's pocket, and he can spend me however he wants. And uh, this, is, this is a different story, but he says, I, I've given everything I have in my own pocket, and God has scraped the lint out. And some of us are in places where like, what do you mean, God? What are you asking me to do? You're asking me to give more. I've given, I've given you a lot at this point. I've suffered for you a lot. And now you want me to go love my neighbor. You want me to invite a friend to Alpha? I might get laughed at. I might get scoffed at. It's going to be embarrassing if they don't come. But maybe that's not the point. And I'm not saying that this could all be, like Alpha is one expression of this. To once again stand up and say, Jesus, it's all yours. My today, my tomorrow, it's all yours. My suffering, my doubt, my tears. It's all yours. That's the invitation. And to me, it is the question that Jesus asks of Mary Magdalene uh, in the garden next to his tomb that is the most precious. Because Mary Magdalene is in tears. And, and yet she comes to the tomb of Jesus to pay her respects. Even though all hope, there, there's no human hope at this point. And she's not expecting what she sees. I think it's incredible if you look at the story, even when there are angels sitting in an empty tomb, she's just like, where's Jesus? They're like, he's not here. They're like, uh. and she just kind of like wanders away. <laughs> like, wouldn't you think two angels sitting in an empty tomb would like, perk you up. But this, I mean, she didn't come to see angels. Angels is not what's important to her. She just had like a, a, div, a divine encounter, but she wants to see Jesus and he's not there. She came to perhaps in a way worship her Lord and Savior and he's not there. And when, when she does meet him, she doesn't even recognize him. She assumes, and this is so profound, that he's just a gardener because he's probably, you know, he's got dirt, you know, dirt underneath his fingernails. And it is Jesus' words, why are you crying? That invites a conversation about the pain that Mary has gone through. But also in the realization that everything she ever really needed was standing right in front of her. That brings the joy, that brings her to her feet. And that prompts her to go be... Uh, and the way that P. Greg puts it, an apostle to the apostles. She is sent by Jesus to bring the message that Jesus has been raised from the dead.
And so I want to read a little section out of uh, Pete Gregg's book that speaks to this. He says, Jesus of all people understands that this process of dealing with the mess created by our disappointments in prayer can hurt terribly. And he knows that without his help, we will, we will become bitter, not better. And that we will lick our wounds like a dog or curl up into a ball of self-protection like a hedgehog. But if, like Mary Magdalene at the tomb of Jesus three days after his burial, we will continue to worship, even at the grave of everything we believed in, our grief will turn into gold. And that's a reference to the story I told a second ago. The greatest miracle in the world, greater than any healing or any revelation, is the grace unleashed by a life refined through suffering. It is a grace that was first released when Jesus endured abandonment and death so that Mary Magdalene and millions since might receive a living hope that can no longer die. And so Jesus wants to touch our pain, our guilt, our doubt, our confusion, our anger, our sadness, and our grief, that it might be turned to gold. One more story, and this is from the book. Uh, the, I'm not even going to read this guy's name, even though I think the way that they spell in Russian is so cool. Um, but you may have heard this guy, heard of this guy, uh, Alexander. I just I like how they don't even bother with vowels sometimes, because uh, he won a Nobel Peace Prize for literature, <clears throat> and he was a Russian-born. Orthodox Christian, but at some point in his life, he abandons his faith and becomes a communist and a servant to the Soviet Union. And because of a criticism he writes of Joseph Stalin in a letter to a friend that was discovered, he gets sent to a gulag. Now, uh, my reference point for what a gulag is, is uh, I think it's Star Trek Four when they go looking for God. Do you guys know, anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, yeah, like all three of you, four of you. Oh, yes, I, I knew I could count on you, Deb. Is it Star Trek Four? Five. Thank you, Star Trek Five. Oh, that. Oh, yes, the the whale movie. I always forget about that one. How could I? Uh, so anyway, I will not go into Star Trek. A gulag is a a Russian uh, prison camp up in the like frozen tundra, Siberia, yes, where you're forced to do labor, but it's not productive necessarily. But in any case, it, it's, it's, a, it, it's the Russian equivalent of crucifixion, only you don't necessarily die, though many people would and did. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an exertion of communist might to say, don't mess with Russia. And so, again, this was someone who was fairly loyal to the Soviet Union, but criticizes Joseph Stalin, ends up serving in a Russian gulag. And uh, at one point, he decides, I'm just done. I'm finished. He falls to the ground, ready to die. And I'm not going to go into what actually he would have died from, just because there are kids here. But, but he's given up. When another prisoner stands beside him, kneels down, 
and draws a cross in the snow. And Alexander Schultzenitsyn, Schultzenitsyn, yeah, didn't help. Uh, He says, in that moment, I realized something that changed my life forever. There is a power greater than the Soviet Union, and it is represented by that symbol. The cross of Jesus is greater than any worldly or spiritual power. And isn't it amazing that it's not a crown, that it's not the empty tomb, but the symbol is the death of our Lord, of our King. It is his death, it is his suffering that unlocks the power of resurrection for each of us. It is a sign of torture that showed Alexander that there is a power greater than the Soviet Union. And so I want to invite you to stand. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to imagine, I want you to consider for a moment what it is in your life that right now feels the most oppressive, the most confusing, that's causing you the most pain, grief, sadness, anger, annoyance, anxiety. It might be apathy. It might be, what, what, what am I struggling with right now? And if you don't have a quick answer to that through just self-reflection, for me, there's usually something pretty obvious that I'm dealing with that rises to the top. But just say, God, what is it? And I want you to imagine that, if you can, in a word uh, just written across your mind. So come, Holy Spirit. We ask you to meet us in this place of our, of our greatest pain, grief, anger. Come, Holy Spirit. Once you have that word across your mind, I want you to imagine, well, one of a few things. Maybe you have the strength to, with your finger, either you could do this actually or just in your mind to draw a little cross over that word. And maybe you don't have the strength. And so maybe it's a friend who comes beside you and someone you trust Someone who is faithful and true, who draws a cross over that word. Actually, maybe, you're, maybe you did it and it was kind of pitiful and they do it and it's a little stronger. And now I want you to imagine that Jesus comes and you know what he does. And I want you to in your imagination, look toward him, look into his face, and pay attention to what he does next or says. Here's something true that Jesus does say. I will be with you always, even to the end. 
I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me and she who believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.